Amen. You can be seated if you would, please. We are continuing our study of the book of 1 Samuel. If you're joining us for the first time today, either online or uh, here in the room, this is what we do at Faith and Victory Church. We preach the Bible. And uh, so we go through line by line, chapter by chapter. Uh, one of my college professors said to me one time, every sermon left to itself is heresy. Uh, and what did he mean by that is that you have to have the context. If you only uh, come to church once a year and the message is always the same message, it's because if you'd listen to a whole year of preaching, you would hear everything that the Bible has to talk about. Um, can you believe this morning that God has you here to hear this message today? Yes. Can you believe that God's word is true? Yes. And every man a liar? We will see. 1 Samuel 23, we're starting verses 19 through 29. It says, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakalak, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure. And see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take all knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in our land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain in the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David therefore... He went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul had heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went to one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, <clears throat> for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at the En Gedi. What's going on in this story? Uh, again, if you're just joining us, there's a guy named uh, Saul, and he's the current king of the nation of Israel. This story happened thousands of years ago. He's the king of Israel. David is a guy that's supposed to be coming, becoming the king of Israel. And if you've been with us for a few months, there's a recurring theme of Saul attacking David and David running and God protecting David. Um, and so we're continuing that same thing where Saul just wants to destroy David. The, the interesting part of this story that jumps up on the next part is there's these other guys, the Ziphites, that show up and are like, hey, Saul, you need some help destroying David. We're in. Like, we'll help you. Let's go. Uh, we'll be a part of you destroying David. And then uh, a messenger goes to Saul. Saul goes after David. David hides uh, near the En Gedi. And once again, Saul, uh, Saul doesn't get him. And so there's really three hearts in this story today. And the title of the sermon is Three Hearts. And the reason why we titled it that is because there's three different hearts here. You got the Ziphite heart. You got the Saul heart. You got the David heart. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at those three hearts. And what I want you to be challenged with is which heart are you and which heart do you want to be? You're probably going to figure it out even before I start that the Ziphite heart and the Saul heart is not the heart that you want to have. It's probably the David heart. So you kind of have to uh, roll with it and wait till we get to the end. Uh, it's going to be fun getting there. Amen. Uh, but during this process, my prayer would be that you would be honest before God um, and check your own heart and see 
if there's things in there that aren't of him that need to be removed. So let's get into the first heart. The first heart that we're going to talk about this morning is the Ziphite heart. The Ziphite heart. These Ziphites were descendants of Judah. Now, in Israel, there's 12 tribes of Judah, uh, or excuse me, 12 tribes of Israel, one of the tribes being Judah. The Ziphites were the tribe of Judah. Who else was the tribe of Judah? David. So uh, the beginning of this story already kind of gets some raised eyebrows because the Ziphites were of the same tribe of David, yet they turn on David and say to Saul, like, hey, you need some help destroying one of our own? We'd love to help. So they show up to Saul and say, hey, man, whatever we can do to help destroy David, we're in, in for a penny, in for a pound, we'll help for whatever we can do to be able to destroy our own people. Hmm. <laughs> There's three things that characterize this Ziphite heart. And then the first one is that, is that a Ziphite betrays his own tribe. They were already of the tribe of Judah. These are, these are David's people. David was of the tribe of Judah. The Ziphites were the tribe of Judah. And it was, they're called Ziphites because they come from Ziph right? Uh, and, and these guys turn on David. And that's the heart of a Ziphite. A, a Ziphite will turn on their own people. It says in verse 19, then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods and the hills, which is on the south side? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver them into the king's hand. Now, what the Bible doesn't say, which I'm very curious of, is what was the problem that the Ziphites had with David? They don't seem to have any problems. They don't seem to have any beef. But the Ziphites volunteer and say, hey, even though we don't have a problem with David, we want to get in good with you. And so we're going to turn in our own guy, someone that's part of our own tribe, somebody that's part of our own family. We're going to turn him over to you so that he could be destroyed. I would guess they wanted the adoration of Saul. I would guess they wanted to be part of his plan. They saw it as a power move to say, well, if we give up David, then we can not be destroyed by Saul, and then we can be on his good side. They don't have a love for truth, though, because the truth is that this is not of God. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. This spirit is so prevalent in the church and in today's world that people love to create problems with other people. For some people, I, I don't understand it because to some people, it's like a pastime for them to create drama in their own families and create drama in the church. They love to create drama at work too. Like if you're in any sort of work environment, there are people that just love to create problems. I don't get it. Here's the second part of a Ziphite heart is that a Ziphite is selfish at the expense of others. And this is, the, this is the key component of a Ziphite heart is selfishness. It turns on others for their own benefit. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. They don't care who's hurt. Why? Because they're self-serving. David is their own tribe, but they feel they have much to gain from turning on their own. Ninth commandment, Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The, the true heart of a Ziphite is that they do not really care about God or his plans. Because they care about themselves. You can't, you can't simultaneously, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you can't simultaneously care about God and your own plans at the same time. Those two things are mutually exclusive. You either care about God's plans or you care about your own plans. So they don't care about God's plans. They weren't of Yahweh. 
They're going to turn on David. But what had David done? David was seeking after God. David was honoring God. David, David never turned on Saul because he wanted to honor God. But these guys don't even see that. And they say, even though you're being an honorable man, David, we're going to turn you over to the dishonorable. What does it mean to you? Do you have a heart of a Ziphite? Do you sow discord and betray your own tribe? Are you self-serving? I want to show you this in, in Proverbs uh, in Proverbs chapter uh, Proverbs chapter six, this is really good. In Proverbs chapter six, uh, you know we serve a God that is loving, Amen. but we serve a God that hates some things. It's, inter- it's very interesting to me when, when people say, "Oh, well, God is a God of love," and there's nothing to do with God that has to do with hate. Typically, people that say that are people that read bumper stickers instead of their Bibles. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, why, do you, why do you talk about this kind of stuff in church? Because we're a growing church that constantly is getting new people. And people come in with these false ideas that they learn from television instead of what they learn from the Bible. There's not just one thing that God hates. This part actually talks about six things that God hates. Verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, excuse me, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates those things. He doesn't look down on those and be like, oh, I just, I love that. It's so great. No, there's actually things that God hates. There's things that God doesn't agree with, that he, that he detests. That are an abomination to him. Now the Ziphites are, are pretty close to being seven for seven on this thing. I don't know what they were looking like, but they're having lying tongues. They're hands that shed innocent blood. They're devising wicked plans. They're swift to running to evil. They're a false witness who speaks lies. And they're sowing discord amongst the brethren. Brethren. This is a very subtle approach of the devil to split relationships in churches and families. If you look at the problems within your family unit, either your small family unit, your extended family unit, usually the seeds of discord and strife were sown somewhere in there. People are unwilling to forgive. People are unwilling to love. And then now families are split and they don't talk to anybody. Happens at work. People say, I don't want to work with so-and-so. Or I don't want to be at the same team on so-and-so. And then people bring that into the church. The biggest problem in the church is typically either unsaved people inside of the church that are sowing discord or saved people that have given themselves over to the devil and not being used as a tool by him. What happens is, is these are personally frustrated people that won't fix their issues and use their hatred of others as a diversion to their problems. Get promoted at work, the person that didn't get promoted wants to destroy you. It's funny, the, the, the boss's pet is usually the one that works the hardest. And people say, oh, he's a pet of the boss. He ain't the pet. She's working harder than everybody else, and you're upset because you're unwilling to work hard. So now you've got to go and destroy her before the boss to make yourself look good because you're unwilling to work hard for the job you're being paid for. Unwilling to face their own nastiness. It's easier, and I get it, to destroy others than to face the realities of your own brokenness. These ziphite hearts unify in their disdain for others, and they form alliances to hide from their sinful heart. I'm, I'm just baffled by people that live their lives this way. What do they really sit and think about? Because when, when me, and, me and my wife sit and talk, we're never like, 
trying to decide who we're going to destroy next. Like, all right, so we destroyed their lives. Who's next on our list? All right, we're going to get with these people, turn them against this person, maybe tell them some good lies or something about them that somebody shared with us in confidence, and then we can create this thing. We can just sit back and watch. <laughs> Dude, when I'm, when I'm alone with my wife and I'm talking, I talk to her about the brokenness of my own heart, the things that the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I have to work on. Honesty and say, God, there's these, uh, I say to my wife, I said, there's these things God has been speaking to me that, man, I'm embarrassed that they're still inside of my heart. Why? Because I want to honor God with my life. I don't want to stand before Almighty God and say, God, I, I sowed strife and discord in your holy body. You think God isn't watching? Like either God is God or he's not. Either he's watching or he's not. But if he is and you're sowing discord amongst the brethren, I'd be very concerned if I were you. You need to change your heart. You're only hurting yourself and others and God's people. The Bible says in Romans 16, 17, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Note them. Pay attention. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. If you have difficulty making friends in church, it might be because you sow discord. It might be because you're filled with strife and people that love Jesus go out to lunch with you and notice that all you want to talk about is other people and they drive away with their friends going, we ain't hanging out with them again. They need to get saved. People say, well, shouldn't they love me enough to see me through it? You're the one that's saying that you're a Christian. You're the one saying you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But I showed up to cause strife and division. These are the people described in Romans 2.8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, indignation, and wrath. This is heart, heart check time, folks. Are you a unifier or a divider? Do you love and gather, or do you hate and disperse? What do I talk about, and to whom do I talk about? If you want to find something to talk about, talk about yourself. Talk about your failures. Talk about stuff that you're working on. Lay yourself before somebody else and be like, man, I, I thought I was really far along. And guess the Holy Spirit did revealed a bunch of evil in my life and I need you to pray for me. I wouldn't even hang out with me if I were you, but I'll tell you what's going on with me. Talk about that, man. People just spend so much time doing these type of things. And I get it, man. But some of y'all were raised in families that are this way. And it's hard to break infighting. There's despair. Like sometimes I feel like we're on Survivor, right? I mean, it's like these alliances and who's getting kicked off the island. But this ain't a game show, man. You can lose your soul on this one. Like it's a big one. It's the spirit of a Ziphite. Why would you destroy your own tribe? Why would you destroy your own people? It, it makes no sense at all. You know, years ago I was, <clears throat> I was visiting my father. He used to live in eastern Washington. And uh, uh, I remember I was probably about 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that age group. And my dad and his wife had invited over this other couple for dinner. And so the door, the door rang, knocked, whatever. And I was there and the guy came through the front door and someone said, hey, where's your wife? And he said, oh, I left her in the car. And so then he began to shut the door 
and his wife was coming through the door at the same time he was shutting the door and there was like this little fracas that happened right there where literally she's pushing on the door at the same time that he's pushing on the door trying to keep her out and he, and he verbalizes and said I told you to stay in the car I don't want you to be in here and she kind of pushed her way through and there was like this uncomfortable laugh between like my, my dad and them and, and what I saw at a very young age was how this man had just damaged his wife I saw the look on his face on her face he had embarrassed her he had shamed her he had made her look bad and and in that moment I thought to myself man I'm never doing that to my wife I'm never gonna make my wife feel that way I'm never I I never want to make people feel that way what why this is your bride bro this is the best now listen if you're married you've had fights in the car before you go into somebody's house right The key is to say to your wife, no, I want people thinking we got a great marriage. We're going to fight about this till we get back. You know what I'm saying? And you walk in and show some unity and then you fight after you get back at the car. What's, fu- what's funny is if you do that, usually by the time you get back, you forget about it. You're like, whatever. But why would you destroy your own spouse? Why would you destroy your own bride? I speak to you a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. Next heart is the heart of Saul. You're going you're gonna to wish we was back talking about the Ziphites. As if the heart of the Ziphite wasn't enough, the heart of Saul was even worse than the Ziphites. The Ziphites are the antagonist in this story against David, but watch this. Saul goes so far to see the Ziphites that turn on David, the Ziphites that are self-seeking, the Ziphites that aren't of God. Saul stands there, looks at the Ziphites and says, you're blessed. You're of God. God is blessing you in your sin. God is rejoicing in your sin. And Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord. For you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. What? How do you go from being king of Israel to now looking at other people's sin and saying, you're blessed of God. I was in sin. You joined joined me in my sin. You've even taken it a step further. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're of God. God is using your sin. God celebrates your sin. God loves your sin. Wouldn't it be interesting if we lived in a time where kings celebrated pride of sin in the streets? Wouldn't that be interesting? What level of spiritual depravity would you be at to now be praising evil? Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, this is not of God. The Ziphites are not of God. They are wrong. They are sinful. They need to stop. They need to change their ways. Saul's in a position to rebuke them and he doesn't rebuke them. He celebrates them and says, praise God for your sin. The heart of Saul is depraved and wicked. 
Proverbs 17, 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Do you know what abomination means? Hatred. God hates it when you justify the wicked and when you attack the just. God hates both of those things. This is why it perplexes me when people say God doesn't hate anything. It's false, man. The word abomination means hatred. God hates many things, specifically sin he hates. Amen. He hates it. He hates it in every way, shape, or form. Malachi 2.17 says this. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where's the God of justice? Wouldn't it be interesting if we lived in a time where people celebrated sin and evil? You are good in the sight of the Lord, and he, he delights in your sin. He delights in your sin. You know, people that attend this church for a while will say things like, man, you talk about sin too much. I say, you know what, man? I just read the Bible, and it's very clear that it's a big theme in the Bible. It's kind of in there. Like it's kind of, if you kind of start in the beginning in Genesis, and you kind of read through to the end of Revelation, there's a lot that talks about how much God doesn't want us to sin. And people say, well, why do you talk about it? Because I love God. And I want to present to him a holy, blameless church. Amen. And I love you. Amen. I love you enough to challenge you Amen. and to get you. I, I love you enough that I'm willing to have you not like me when I preach the truth to you. Amen. That's how much I love you. So much that I'm going to preach the truth to you. And if you don't like me, I'm fine with it. Because I care more about what God thinks about me than what you think about me. Amen. Do you know who gets tired of hearing about sin? Sinners. Do you know who gets tired of learning about submission? The rebellious. Do you know who gets tired of hearing about sermons about being loving? The unloving. Do you know who gets tired of hearing about forgiveness? People that hit, hold grudges. Do you know who gets tired of sermons about generosity? The stingy. Growing churches must address sin. We're, we're, not, we're not like in North Dakota and it's the same 50 people every week. You guys would be like, we heard this last week. We're, we're a growing church. We, we get, you know, 10 to 30 visitors every single week. A lot of them don't come back because they don't want to hear the truth, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Do you celebrate sin? Do, do, do you call it blessed when others come to you actively sinning? Do you jump on the gossip train and join in the discord? Do you see sin and do you accept it? Or do you challenge it and say, man, this is not of God. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I want to honor God with my life. I don't, I don't want to even be privy to your evil. Get away from me. Why? Because you would rather have friends than to tell people they're walking in sin. Oh, my kid, our kids really get along well together. I'd hate to lose them as a friend. So you just want to join in their discord? You want to join in their strife? You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 5, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. There's none of you, I would hope, that would celebrate somebody who's a lover of money, a boaster, a proud, a blasphemer. Nobody would celebrate disobedience to parents. All the parents are like, amen, pastor, tell them. Looking at your kids in the church like, that's for you. Luke 16, 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed amongst men is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination in the sight of God. What do you esteem in your life? What, what do you hold and defend in your heart and action? What do you allow other people to do around you that is sin? You see sin and celebrate it as blessed? Or do you mourn because sin is sin? And I get it, man. Like we live in a world that all manner of sin is celebrated. They're, 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 we literally are living in times where people call day, night, and night, day. And, and, and we as, a, as Christians and as a church hold to a standard. And then people say, well, you're bigoted or you're hateful or you hate. Dude, I don't hate nobody. I just love God and, and hate what he hates. I hate sin. I don't want anything to do with it whatsoever. It's so rampant in society that it literally forces us to say, are we going to talk about what we need to talk about or are we going to pretend that it doesn't exist? Dude, the alphabet people, LG, whatever, whatever, it's everywhere. It's in every movie, it's in every song, it's in every television program, it's in everything, and the world celebrates it. And they come to the church and they say, we want you to celebrate it. I'm like, "Mm, no, I'm not going to do that. And I know that some of you, even as I say that, you're like, oh my gosh, where's he going? Is he going to talk about it? I am. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. And the reason why I'm going to talk about it is this, is that some of you are afraid to say, like, this sexual sin is wrong. That's right. Because you want to have friends. You want everybody to love you and everybody to think you're awesome with a side of fries. You're afraid to tell people, like, hey, your fornication is wrong. If you're having sex outside of marriage, you are an abomination and God hates it. All sexuals, if it's not a man and a woman that are married, everything else is wrong. And you would say like, okay, well, it's okay. And why does Matt have to be so judgmental? Watch this, okay? 99.9999% of you would not for a moment accept if I was just walking out who I am, and this is not me, but if I was, and I'm not, but if it was, the, the, B in, the B in the alphabet can only be walked out one way. B means by, right? None of you would allow me to bring a man in, sit him in the front row next to my wife, and stand and then preach a sermon, and he's sitting there next to Crystal going, amen, that's good. None of you would do that. Nobody. You'd say, that's an abomination. I'm no, you wouldn't even come back to church next week. But, but I stand in the church and I say, only a man and a woman is of God and nothing else. People say, why is he so filled with hate? I'm not filled with hate. I'm filled with God's holy, righteous standard for this world. And it, and it touches everything. We are Christ's bride. He is the bridegroom, man, woman. He's coming back for a bride. You take those two things away and all of a sudden the church has no value. 
And, and, and luckily, legally, now I can still talk about it. I don't know if that day is coming. Probably is. But I'm, I'm fine with it. I, 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 I'm just going to stand before God and answer for what I do. And I'd rather answer to God. And the Bible makes it, like, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you a real world example of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Corinthian church had a problem with sexual immorality. And they said this, it says, Paul was writing to the church and he said, it's actually reported, meaning he had heard, that there's sexual immorality among you and what you're doing, this sexual immorality, even people that aren't Christians are doing this stuff. That a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up, you're proud and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as I was absent body and present in spirit, I've already judged as though I was present him who has so done the deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were pleased. The Corinthian church was pleased. We, we can never allow ourselves to have a, a heart of Saul. And we, we talk about sexual immorality. Why? Because it's, it's prevalent in society. It's big. But it goes even farther than that. Gossip, envy, strife, discord, hatred, uh, dis, uh, dissensions. All of those things are, are equally as detestable before God. So you can't stand on your spiritual high horse and be like, well, there's no sexual immorality in my life, but I'm filled with greed, envy, discord, and strife amongst my brethren. And somehow God looks at me and goes, way to keep your pants on like no God hates that just as much it's just as detestable in the eyes of God and we, we need to check ourselves we need to say God remove those things inside of me that is not of you Malachi 3.15 so now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up they even tempt God and go free 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's, let's just stay in there for a minute. Remember, we're going to get to David. You're, we're going to leave you we're gonna leave you strong, okay? Don't worry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Do any of those things sting? Is there anything you need to work on? Don't celebrate it. Hate it. Man, I hate the sin that I find in my heart. I hate it. I'm, I'm embarrassed of it. I, I, that's why I confess it to my friends and my wife. I'm like, man, I've noticed this thing inside of me. I need you to hold me accountable on this. I don't want this to be a part of my life. I hate it. I don't celebrate it. Christians don't live sinless. We just don't. The difference is that we identify the sin. We attack it. We say, you know what, God? Help me with this. Don't, don't get just because I'm sitting up here railing like that guy must think he's better than I don't think I'm better than nobody man I'm navel lint okay I'm, I'm a, at best a filthy rag or a pile of steaming dung like that's it I don't think I'm better than anybody else I just love you enough to talk about it so that we can get to glory together amen now let's get into the good part alright the heart of David heart of David 
So we pretty clear we don't want to be a Ziphite? No? No? Like, did I just fail in the first two-thirds of my sermon? It's like, do you want to be a Ziphite? Ah, I'm still thinking about it. Ah, still kind of cheery, still out, maybe. Do you want to be a Saul? Okay, all right, good. We don't have to go back there. You know, when I, I, I love the Bible. It's such a, a beautiful, <laughs> such a beautiful book. Um, the Bible has every answer that you could ever want about anything. And when I read this, I think about David. And, I, and if you really want to get a lot out of your Bible, put yourself in this story and think like, okay, David just had his people turn on him. David has the king running after him. What's going on with David in this moment? Like, is he... Is he, what's going on in his heart, right? Wouldn't you like, would you like to know? Yeah, yeah of course. Luckily, uh, David, do you know what he did when he was on the run? He wrote Psalm 54. Psalm 54, actually, before verse 1, it says, To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? So when you're looking at David, his friends have turned on him, the king's after him, and what does he do? You know what? I think I'm going to write a worship song. That's what I'm going to do. I'm on the run. I'm worried. I'm scared. I think this is a fantastic time to sing praises to God. I think this is a fantastic time to praise the Lord. Verse 1, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. I want you to listen to these words in the context of he's being chased by the Ziphites and Saul. His people have turned on him. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. It's funny, the last verse, he says, my eye has seen the desire upon my enemies. He had desire to destroy them. He had desire to lash out. He had desire to fight back. But he chose not to. He said, you know what? I'm not going to fight back. Why? Because God is a better vindicator than I am. God, vindicate me by your strength. God, hear me. Give ears to the word of my mouth. David put his full trust and assurance in God, knowing that God would do a better job of taking care of him than him putting the strength in his own hands. Verse 3, for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. Isn't it interesting that David goes from, uh, these guys are from my tribe, these guys are my brothers, to like, I don't even know these guys. These guys are strangers to me. These are oppressors to me. If you are of the tribe and you attack the tribe, you forfeit the title of the tribe. You are no longer... The Bible, many times... I'm going to do a sermon one time in all the places the Bible says on who you should avoid. Because the Bible makes it very... Once you move into sin and you move into this realm of destroying your own, Strangers and oppressors, they have not set God before them. David knew that the Ziphites had not set God before him. And so what was he going to do? In, in defiance, he was going to set his heart towards God. He was going to trust in his protection. Behold my God, or excuse me, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. 
He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. And so what does he do in verse 6? I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. I love, this still kind of is, is part of the uh, sermon that Pastor Jay did a few weeks ago with good. Man, if you missed that one, you got to listen to it. It was a banger. It was really good. And, and Paul and Silas are in prison. What do they do? Praise God. Amen. David's on the run. What does he do? Praise God. If you're on the run and people are after you and your life is destroyed, what should you do? Dude, you just praise God. It's always interesting when people say, like, you don't see him at church, like, man, hey, where have you been? I've been going through a lot. Like David and Paul? Those guys was in prison and running for their lives, and they were praising God. Yeah, like if you're in the truck, you should literally be down here waiting for the door to be open on Sunday morning. Man, I got to be in there. I got to be in the body. I need the presence of the Holy Ghost, man. I need my family. I need to be built up. I need to sing and praise and be in the assembly. When you're going through it, you need to praise God. You need to lift him up. Get outside of yourself. No matter what your circumstance is, praise God. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Folks, you should be trusting God at all times and praise builds trust. And I get it, man. Like some of these songs that we sing are, they're they're all biblical, but some of them are actually word for word from the Bible. You know, when, when I'm going through something, there's a, a, and I don't remember the names of songs. I just remember lines from, but there's that one that says, he's never failed and he won't start now. Yes. And, I, and I, I've sung that song so many times that oftentimes when I'm going through something, and I feel like this is the end and my life's going to be destroyed because it couldn't have gone this good for this long. Anybody else have those thoughts? Yeah. You guys need Jesus. <laughs> I'm reminded of that praise song I've sang many times. He's never failed and he won't start now. When you sing praises like when you, when you when you get before God and say, you know what, God, my bills have problems, my bills bills have problems, my family got problems, I got health problems, I got life problems, people hate me, people are after me. What can I do? I can praise you. I can't fix the knuckleheads, but I you know what? I can praise you. I can't find a way to fix this, but I can find you, and I'm going to praise you. And you know what God will do? He'll vindicate you. God will destroy people that are trying to destroy you. God God is a much better vindicator than you ever could be. You in and of yourself do not have the power or the ability to stop somebody else from doing evil, but God can. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I know whose I am and I know who I am. I do not need to defend myself. I don't need to get in an argument with somebody. I'm a king's kid and God is watching out for me and he's going to take care of me and I'm going to praise him instead of fighting you. Amen? Amen. Romans 12, 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. (laughs) I don't know if we're supposed to take pleasure in that wrath, but it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God's wrath is better than your defense. Give the Lord time to take care of the details. Stick with us on this story, and you're going to see David is going to be avenged, I promise you. He's going to be taken care of. He doesn't have to worry, and you don't either at all. What did David do? David and went, and he escaped to the place 
called the rock of escape and David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. Trust God, praise him. Don't be a Saul, don't be a Ziphite, be a David, praise him through the storm, amen? amen? Would you close your eyes, would you bow your heads? I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to what the Lord's doing in your heart this morning. It's really quite easy, either you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, either you've given your heart to him or you haven't. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, I want to be a Christian, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to turn away from my sins and I want to turn towards God. I want a line in the sand that says, I'm a Christian and I'm not going to live like the world anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. Whatever that may mean, if it means that I have to believe things that people don't believe, then I'm going to do it to honor God. If you've never made that decision before and you need to do that for the very first time today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Don't miss this moment. Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life. And maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you knew the truth when you were a kid or your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, whatever. You knew God and you were walking with him, but you have turned so far away and you're like, Pastor, I don't even know how to come back. It's been too long. There's no way that God could forgive me after what I've done. Friend, Jesus loved you when you were his enemy. How much more so now that he calls you son and daughter? How much more so now? Make a decision and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to come back to you. I'm ready to live holy for you. If you need to make that declaration today, I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm ready to give my life back to Jesus. Hand held high. Now for the rest of us, man, God, would you just remove that, any ziphite inside of us, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, let us be unifiers and not dividers. God, remove anything in our hearts of Saul that would cause us to celebrate sin. God, we don't want to celebrate sin. We want to celebrate your holiness, your righteousness, and your ways alone. And God, we pray that this word would quicken into our spirits, that whenever our lives are overwhelming, that we'd be drawn to praise, that we'd be drawn to praise. Father, we praise you, we thank you, and glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you guys want to stand with me and don't forget to get your kids and to go have coffee and fellowship together. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you'd like to financially support Faith and Victory Church's ministry, please text FAVC to 77977. God bless you and keep you. From the FVC Live Team.